2: Monday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online with you at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Scott Rippey, who is furiously typing away and transcribing and working on literary greatness over here, in his own mind anyway, uh, glad to have you along this afternoon. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank, online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land hope you had a great weekend what a sports weekend it was what's up Borky yeah and it was my anniversary weekend so I my sports
1: watching was kept kind of to a minimum <laughs> for the most part good, good anniversary weekend yeah it was good uh we're, we're kind of low-key people now so we didn't do anything crazy especially with a, a kid at home but uh still got to watch the Saints game yesterday and that was awesome so yeah anniversary well spent
2: I mean, I know you're disappointed with the outcome of the game. That was an awesome football game, though. But that was a pretty spectacular game, wasn't it? Oh,
1: my gosh, yeah. I just I wonder where the Saint secondary disappeared off to,
2: though. Don't you wish that that game had been on Sunday night? I can't believe it wasn't. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess Rams and Seahawks was – was good it wasn't that entertaining i watched bits and pieces of it on the uh, on the plane coming home last night from uh, uh well the flight from charlotte to memphis last night um but yeah i mean it was not super close and man can you imagine the ratings for nbc if you had, had the the saints niners game at night it would have been off the charts
1: been the biggest of the year like up into the mid 30 millions
2: yeah Certainly didn't get that, and uh, we're going to get to a bunch of stuff this afternoon. The uh, college football playoff field is set. Bowl games have been announced. Tell you where Mississippi State's going, assuming you don't already know, which most of you certainly do at this point. Also look at Southern Miss and their bowl matchup. We're going to look back at state championship games from high school football as we have put a bow now on the high school football season in the state of Mississippi. The SEC championship game was a little bit of a snoozer. Uh, Big Ten championship game was interesting for a while. The ACC championship game was not interesting at all. Oregon pulls a little bit of an upset, knocks Utah out of the college football playoff scenario. All of that coming up with you this afternoon. But we will start with uh, what happened a couple of hours ago in Oxford, and that was the formal introduction of Lane Kiffin as the new head football coach at Ole Miss. Somewhere between three and 4,000 people uh, showed up in the pavilion, had uh, the one side was completely full and kind of wrapped around to the corners in the uh, in the lower level, uh, had people in the kind of the common area up up above. I can't even remember what they call it—All American Club or the courtside, whatever it is, up at the top where they serve food and drinks and all that good stuff.
3: Half price booze.
2: Yeah, uh, I, I did tell somebody earlier today. I said that's kind of the most Ole Miss thing ever. They're throwing a big party at one o'clock on a Monday afternoon in the pavilion on the Monday of exam week and telling people, half price beer, y'all come, you hear? And a lot of people showed up. And, you know, just kind of a... It was a big pep rally for Lane Kiffin that started last night at Oxford International Airport and uh, continued today, and then he met with the media afterward as well. Borky, I know you watched the live stream uh, stream of it. What was your takeaway?
1: It was pretty wild. Uh, I mean, I've watched coach introductory press conferences and stuff like that but i jokingly said on twitter that it was louder in there than any old miss home football game this season which of course is hyperbole but the energy in there is something that you haven't seen from that place in years i mean we're talking three plus years since that program's had that kind of life and and energy and lane kiffin felt like kind of a rock star I mean, just his entrance into the arena, the, the production people did a really good job. I don't know if you guys could see it there, but when you were watching the stream, they had train-related music like Crazy Train and stuff like that playing, and they did a full intro and all this stuff. It was a It was a production. It was a show, and it was very fitting for a guy like him, and you could feel the energy through your television, which is really hard to do, especially when it's an introductory speech.
2: Yeah. Um, And I thought he hit the uh, the right notes. Glenn Boyce, the chancellor, introduced uh Lane Kiffin, kind of talked about the search, had really uh, nice things to say about Keith Carter. He then turned it over to Keith Carter, who ultimately introduced uh, Lane Kiffin. And Kiffin stood up there and talked for, oh, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. Maybe it wasn't quite that long. Um, You know, got the reaction that you would expect to get. I mean, it's always a celebration when you have a new coach, and if... Excuse me. Ole Miss had hired somebody besides Lane Kiffin; they would have had a celebration for that new coach. But Rippy you and I were talking earlier today. The celebration for a new coach not named Lane Kiffin would have felt different than what happened today.
3: Sure. I mean, he comes with the instant energy and uh, national relevancy. I guess that the program, I guess, sorely of needed cause it needed a shot in the arm and. Like, I guess you could have gotten that in other ways, but we wouldn't have come as strongly or immediately without Wayne Kiffin.
2: And I think there was some strategy at Ole Miss allowing the news to, you know, kind of leak out on Friday afternoon going into Friday evening because you got the full news cycle leading up to <clears throat> leading up to uh, all the conference championship games on Saturday. They were talking about it on Saturday. SEC Nation, they were talking about it on College Game Day. Marty and McGee did like a 15-minute segment on it on their show that uh, was on SEC Network leading into uh, to Georgia and LSU. All the national writers have written about it, uh, you know, from Yahoo to ESPN to Sports Illustrated to et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and for the most part, the reviews have been really positive. Most people have said, yeah, this is – it may work or it may not work, but it's a, a calculated risk that both Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin have taken and could very well be a, a risk that turns out to be really good for both sides. Sure.
3: it just like Carter kind of changed the way Ole Miss has been doing business for the last, what, 30, 40 years in a matter of a week. I mean, you know, one that's made him a perennial bottom feeder in the SEC West, he did something different because, you know, doing things the same way over and over again expecting a different result – I believe is the definition of insanity, correct? It's almost like I've heard that somewhere before. Right. So, you know, that's, that to me, the idea of Kiffin, the process and actually going through that, whether it works or not, is kind of a, uh, I guess, memorable moment in this school history because it signals it's kind of a, Not changing of the guard, but seems like changing in the way they operate and maybe with the way the school is viewed, or at least the athletic department.
2: We will uh, play some of the audio from Lane Kiffin's introductory press conference, which happened after the official announcement, pep rally, however you want to describe it, earlier today. Uh, So we've got that for you. We'll give you the the terms of his contract from a financial standpoint. uh, Pretty heavily incentive based. Uh, if you were following along on Twitter with me over the weekend, you you saw that the numbers were going to be low four millions uh, and have kind of some of the standard incentives in there. That turned out to be you know exactly what you get in the uh, the contract. Um, so we'll get into all of that with you this afternoon. Championship Saturday, LSU no trouble with the Georgia Bulldogs. Joe Burrow has now thrown forty eight touchdown passes and may very well be the biggest landslide winner in the history of the Heisman Trophy. He's got to be a bigger winner than Troy Smith was at Ohio State a decade or so ago. I I don't know that there's even that much doubt, Borky, that that's how it's going to turn out.
1: Yeah, you hope so, but you know there's going to be the contrarian sports writer somewhere that will say that Justin Fields, for some stupid reason, deserves it over him or Or even J.K. Dobbins, which I guess would be his primary competition, right? The two of those guys. Or Chase Young. Or Chase Young. uh, But you'll have the stuffy sports writer that wants to be different so he can write a think piece column about how he's different than everybody else when in reality, uh, Joe Burrow should unanimously be the Heisman Trophy winner.
2: Yeah. Probably won't be unanimous for some of the reasons that you just outlined, but it certainly is going to be overwhelming. Clemson smoked Virginia – And kind of led to some talk with some people as you were hearing the is Ohio State or LSU going to be number one? That's a really big deal because nobody wants to play Clemson in the first semifinal. And that actually led some people to go, well, if nobody wants to play Clemson and they've won 27 or 28 in a row now and started the year number one and they're the reigning national champs, maybe they should be number one.
1: Yeah, they just don't have the resume that stacks up. I I can't believe that LSU and Ohio State was even a debate. And they ended up getting it right anyway. But resume, LSU's is far and away better than Ohio State's, isn't it? I know the margin of victory for Ohio State is, is significant and bigger than LSU's, and they claim Ohio State's strength of schedule is tougher than LSU's, but I don't buy that for a second.
2: Well, That shouldn't have been a debate, should it have? What was it? Ohio State had five wins against top 25 teams, and LSU had four wins against top 25 teams. Yeah,
1: and LSU, all four of LSUs are top 15 teams. Yeah.
2: So we've got the final four set. Mississippi State headed to the Music City Bowl, Southern Miss going to the Armed Forces Bowl. Two other vacant coaching spots in the SEC. SEC were filled uh, in the last couple of days. We've got winners and losers, and a whole lot more with you. This afternoon. Sports Talk, Mississippi. Seaspire text line is open. 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Seaspire customer inspired. We're back with you. In the Renaissance Bank Studio, Renaissance Bank, understanding you.
3: One foggy Christmas back
2: with Sandy you on Monday Day afternoon, Sports Day. Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Scott, Rippey. Hey Dad is off for a couple more days. Going to come back and join us later in the week. We're glad to have you along for the ride. Again, you can text the show on the C Spire text line, 601 879 four three nine five thanks for being with us on this afternoon um rippy question for you why do your buddies at um have to lie to everyone and over overhype crowd size everywhere a few people at the airport was thousands and a bottom section and a half is a huge pavilion crowd the splash
3: was a splat wait what i don't i don't know who cares i I was not at the uh the airport tarmac i did not hand count who was uh there who was waiting uh i think based on pictures it's pretty obvious if you can count beyond like two hands that it was probably more than a few as far as specific numbers I, i don't i have no idea i if I guess if you're, like, spending your time worrying about that, I would encourage you to maybe move on to some other different things. But if you really want to hand count it, I could probably get enough still shots for you. We could go through it together. Is that fair?
2: I I think a couple to a few hundred would be a reasonable estimate for the airport crowd last night, just based on talking to people. I was sitting in the airport eating shake shack at the Charles uh, the uh wherever it was Charlotte airport
3: last night when that happened I talked to burner phone guy from the airport last night we'll have that out later this evening did you yeah he he was a treat he was great really yes I'm so, looking forward to it I'm writing something else from today right now but I'll have that out I procrastinated a little bit last night but
2: Okay. So, um, so there
3: was at least one there, because uh, he confirmed to me that he was there. And well, there were at least two there,
2: because he also a, handed his
3: baby. No, he's got a family of four. So now we're up to four. So reach out that other hand, because if we cross over to six, then we got a real situation on our hands. Um, I don't know what to tell you. I would probably tell you to worry about more important things other than crowd size. Who cares? Yeah. Um... I
2: think about 3,000 is a reasonable estimate for what was at the pavilion today. Well,
3: to, to underscore his point, I asked athletics for a guest for this story I'm writing, and they said four, so just more propaganda machine. They added 1,000 people. It's worse than voter fraud in this country. Unreal. Sorry.
2: I mean, if you want to <laughs> really know the section between, like baseline to baseline for that 35 rows or whatever, seats about 1,750 people. You had two sections extended around into the corners on both ends that were basically full. So that's probably another 500 people. You had a few hundred people that were standing up at the top and then the few people in the upper deck, plus the media folks that were there. So you know. So now
3: we got all the byproducts that other pe- that y'all have created on the show. Ribby was the old Miss crowd. This is my monthly trip to the text line, bigger than the <laughs> Bernie Sanders crowd. I don't know, um, but
2: Jamie and Oxford says a bunch of
3: people showed see, up. But this is my point in the sense that like, like y'all ask me like I get this at games all the time like how many people are there? I don't know, and then I give them the announced attendance. And they're like, well, that's wrong. Like. Yeah, probably, man. But like, what do you want me to tell you? I'm not going to count it for you. Who cares? There's empty bleachers.
2: Yeah, whatever. So, a couple of three thousand people or so showed up, and uh, that was really important to uh, to somebody. Here we go. Somebody says, and nobody cares except probably a Mississippi State fan. Yeah, whatever. So, um, financial terms. Lane Kiffin signs a four-year contract that will pay him $3.9 million in the first year.
3: Well, according to a fake Twitter account and Brett McMurphy, uh, who collaborated on some reporting together, it was a five-year deal, which is actually not allowed by Mississippi state law. So glad we got that cleared up.
2: $4 million in the second year, $4.1 million in the third year, $4.2 million in the fourth and final year of the deal. It is possible, I suppose, that they put some sort of an automatic rollover in there. Uh, maybe the foundation side is taking care of things as well. I you know, I don't know, but state law in Mississippi allows for a four year contract, a four year state contract, and those are the basic terms. So what's that? an average of four point one million, sixteen point two million in total for the uh, for the four- year deal. Uh, the incentives that go along with that uh, you win more than four games in the SEC starting with the fifth win, one hundred and fifty thousand per. A regular season victory against a non-conference Power Five opponent, see Baylor in the season opener next year. That's worth a hundred thousand dollar bonus. If you get to the Birmingham Bowl or the Independence Bowl, you get fifty grand. If you make it into the group of six SEC games, that's uh, Liberty Bowl, Music City, Belk, Texas, Outback, and Gator Bowl, or whatever it's called in J- Tax Slayer Bowl. You get a $100,000 bonus there. If you make it to the Citrus Bowl, which is where Alabama is playing this year against Michigan, that's a $125,000 bonus. A college football playoff access bowl, which is, you know, sugar bowl when it's not part of the playoff, cotton bowl, orange bowl, etc., peach bowl, that's a $250,000 bonus. If you are part of the college football playoff, so it, one of the semifinalists, that's worth half a million. If you get to the championship game and you lose, that's worth 3 quarters of a million and if you win the national championship, a million dollar bonus. Coach of the year in the league, 50,000, national coach of the year, 100,000, some academic incentives with uh, APR as well. Uh north of 950 gets you 100k, north of 975 gets you 150,000. So, tell
1: me that, this all is, all that stuff standard. Tell me this is a standard. fair take. That this contract and these terms tell me that Ole Miss was chosen over Arkansas. Because it's not like Arkansas could have, like this was too much money for them. They could have matched this kind of deal if that's all this came down
2: to. Yeah, I agree with that. And he talked to Arkansas before he talked to Ole Miss, reportedly. For weeks. Or a week, at least.
1: But Arkansas had more time to do it than Ole Miss, but... Uh, you had this growing conversation. You know, we had it this summer, if you remember, and actually even a few weeks ago, about which one's the better job. Well, you just had a high profile football coach choose one over the other. Now, maybe it's a short term thing because one's roster is objectively better than the other, but still, I mean, what do you have to go by? Yeah. A high profile coach chose Ole Miss over Arkansas when Ar- money was not the issue.
2: Look, L- Lane Kiffin talked some about this today, and. I think this is relevant in this conversation. He had some experiences that made him believe there was the possibility for big success at Ole Miss. And he talked multiple times today about being on the sideline as the offensive coordinator for Alabama in 2014 and 2015, when Ole Miss won those games in back to back years, and pointed out that Alabama lost two regular season games in the course of three seasons. And both of those losses were to Ole Miss, so that was something that was, I guess, a checkmark in favor of Ole Miss. The other thing is that his brother coached here, and so he was able to talk to him about what it was like to live in Oxford, you know, what it was like to coach at Ole Miss, you know, what the possibilities were. And in his post-game or post-game, his post pep rally press conference, he talked about that in uh, in a little more detail, and we'll talk about that or we'll play that for you coming up in uh, in just a little while. Maybe more importantly than the, the salary for Lane Kiffin, $5.3 million available for 10 assistant coaches. So that's a competitive assistant coach salary pool. And an additional $2.2 million available to hire five strength and conditioning coaches, a football operations person, analysts, video coordinators, recruiting coordinators, and player personnel staff. So, and he has made uh,
1: the the first hire of that group, right?
2: The strength and conditioning coach. He yes. was there today. Yeah, his name is Wilson Lake Love, Wilson? right? Well, I just made I just made up a name.
3: Lake Wilson. Yeah, uh,
2: also known as Wilson Love, who was on Scott Cochran's staff at Alabama. Scott Cochran, the strength and conditioning coach there played at Alabama, and has been with Lane Kiffin at FAU. So, Also mentioned Kevin Smith as an assistant coach that he was bringing along from FAU. He was a running backs coach there. Uh, I was told last week that uh, Kevin Smith is a guy that a year ago during the coaching carousel cycle turned down two opportunities to leave FAU. One was an SEC job. Another was an ACC job uh, that he liked working with and for Lane Kiffin and it was highly likely that he would be added to the staff here, and uh, Lane Kiffin conferred that, uh, confirmed that to uh, today. What did he say when he talked to the media? Asked uh, a bunch of different questions? We'll give you some of those answers, some of what he had to say, coming up when we continue with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm, in the Renaissance Bank Studio, Renaissance Bank, understanding you. I've been told that Lane Kiffin will join us on the radio in the coming coming days. It's not going to be today. Uh, Did ask about that. Had a few other things going on. Uh, There was a team meeting right after he finished up his press conference. And he's on with Paul Feinbaum. I was actually watching that uh, during the break a second ago. And some pretty good-natured back-and-forth Borky. Uh, Lane Kiffin started out by saying, hey, you finally wrote something positive about me. Thanks for that. And Feinbaum (laughs) kind of laughed, and he goes, I mean, you got me fired at USC, but I guess you got me this job, so now we're even.
1: (laughs) That's the kind of stuff you get from him, too. I think I said it it was Thursday or Friday that, like, you're not going to get some impassioned family acronym speech, but he's so dry. Like, at the press conference today, the tarmac comment just – He's plugging along and, and giving smart—I mean, really well thought out answers uh, to all of the questions—and then he gets asked about the reception when he flew in, and well, he drops that tarmac comment on there, and it, it, that's, it's just perfect. It,
2: he was exactly hey, so, who so you hoped he was. So, Feinbaum followed up with him. He goes, "Yeah, I was uh, right, wrongly accused of getting you fired." He goes, but, "But you blame me for getting you fired at Southern Cal, right?" He goes, "Well, yeah." I mean, you called me the Miley Cyrus of college football.
3: Oh man. oh, man. That appeared to be mostly lighthearted, though. Yeah, it
2: was. It was.
3: And uh, they're continuing to talk. So, Seems to
2: be a
1: guy that is self-deprecating in a good way.
2: Yeah, you're right. And the, the, the tarmac comment, have we got that. Yeah, here, to, let's go to that first if let, you let's want Let's start to. with that. So Lane Kiffin was, too. was asked that. about his um, the, the reception that he received when he landed at the airport in Oxford last night.
4: Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> I didn't think of that. It was, like, <laughs> it
5: was
4: like an anniversary or something like that. So um, that was really neat to see um i didn't know people were allowed on the tarmac (laughs) so um but it was it was pretty cool i felt like i was in a movie like all of a sudden like closing in on you and we're in and like they got all the lights shining like they just keep closing and closing in i'm like all right where are we going here like and so like just get out it'll be okay i'm like okay and it was awesome the reception was great and um it was really neat. You could feel the energy, and from my understanding, it's not real easy to find parking there and stuff. And so, you know, that that was really neat and special for them to go out of their way to to do that. And what I was told basically have a tailgate party.
2: <laughs> Thousands of people at the Oxford Airport last night, too. I'm,
3: I'm kidding. Watch out, you're going to upset some people. I'm uh, I'm kidding.
2: So yeah, he says uh, better than a previous. <laughs> airport tarmac experience. You may remember him being pulled off the plane and fired on the tarmac in Los Angeles after losing to Arizona State.
3: Which, that report technically turned out to be inaccurate, right? Because it was just some small room at the airport, but like it was so sensationalized that it's just remembered as that now. So
2: they didn't actually do it in the parking lot. I don't think lot. he
3: was actually fired on the tarmac. I believe he was taken into some kind of small room at the airport. Okay. By the tarmac. Not that it matters, but I think that's kind of like the funny and ironic part in all of it. Um, and then the I, I found the I found the the is this a long term gig thing to be kind of funny? I've
4: got that ready if you want it. Let's hear it. You didn't see how big my bio was yet, did you? <laughs> so. Um, that's a very fair question, you know now obviously Alabama, we were assistant coach, so you got to move. Um, you know and so uh, Fort Atlantic was a very exciting place. It was not one of those that I was just leaving to leave, even just to go to the SEC. It wasn't that. It had to be a place that really felt things were aligned in order to be somewhere that you can really win. And so um, I have zero reason to leave live here leave here because what? You're in the best conference that there is in football. You've got great leadership, and you've got the ability to recruit great players, and you have an awesome fan base. I saw that firsthand when I was about getting run over after that that game. Uh, you know when that game ended here in um, that exciting game, and the fans stormed the field. Um,
2: Lane Kiffin in his opening press conference today. Yeah, I haven't heard specifically what the buyout number is yet. Uh, we'll have to uh, we we'll have to check into that and see what we can uh, come up with. Borky, let's uh, let's kind of go to the beginning. And one of the questions was about uh, staff. You know, what what's the staff going to look like? That's something that uh, people want to know. Who's going to be the offensive coordinator? Who's going to be the defensive coordinator? This is what Lane Kiffin had to say about completing his staff at Ole Miss.
4: You know, we've been in a lot of work on that. Um, you know, trying to figure it out. You know, and so uh, we'll bring a great staff here. Um, my agents, Jimmy Sexton and Ed Manowitz, are here, and they've been, they've been able to help me a lot through this process. I forgot to thank them out there, so that's why I threw that plug in there. Um, and so uh, we have two coaches we brought with us, our strength coach, Wilson Love, um, and assistant coach, Kevin Smith. And then, um, you know, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll interview the guys that are here um, and potentially keep some of them, too.
2: All right, so you heard him mention uh, Wilson Love and uh, also Kevin Smith that we talked about a little bit earlier uh, this afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming online at supertalk.fm. A question for Lane Kiffin about his growth off the field as opposed
4: to just on the field. Well, that's a very fair question. Um, You know, that when you go through obstacles, you know, that sometimes seem like, you know, really bad things you know there's a book obstacles the way by ryan holiday and and he sent me that book and and that book really kind of put things in a different light to me you know you can have something like the firing of usc that you feel at the time is the end of the world when it happens you know and and are you ever going to get a head coaching job again and you know and you go through oh we're well, on sanctions all that stuff that you go through and then you know I, I look at that differently now and say hey you know what had that not happened i would have never went work for Nick Saban. So that obstacle, um, you know, really helped me develop. And so I think going to work with Coach was great from XOs and all that stuff, but really from how he manages the program from top to bottom. And I mentioned it in there. I feel like, you know, I was a head coach before, you know, back to like USC and I was really the offensive coordinator being the head coach, you know, and developing players, getting them to the NFL and getting a lot of players drafted. And then I really kind of changed and really realized, okay, this is, there's more to it than this. That's not, that's not my calling. You know, God's calling for me wasn't just to get guys drafted and make a bunch of money. It was to develop them off the field and, and have relationship with them and help them through things. So um, I feel like there's a lot different that way in player relationship this time around. Um, and I'm not saying today. This has been for the last three years as a head coach. Um, I would like to think those players um, would say that. What do you think about that?
1: He said all the right things. And you can certainly get humbled being left on a tarmac in Los Angeles, even though, as Ripley said, that's probably not exactly how it is. But certain questions like that one, the way they were answered, does not strike you as somebody that hasn't learned From their previous mistakes as a young football coach, maybe it's all just talk, and we know all about football coaches that say they're something and they're really not. But it certainly felt different than the way people described the guy.
3: I always, I brought this up on our podcast yesterday, but I, I I do wonder if there's like some kind of value in like seeming like in, in every industry, pretty much anywhere, there's kind of a pecking order. And, you know, really smart people maybe skip a couple steps or kind of get jo- get good jobs early on and maybe kind of blow by it quicker than other people. But there's generally some kind of pecking order or path towards the top of whatever industry. And his was like the complete inverse. I mean, he was the head coach of an NFL football team at 31 years old after, what, two years as a passing game coordinator in OC at USC. And so his career path has been so well, in some ways tumultuous too, but also so like almost inverse of what it would be. I mean, at 40, whatever he is now, he's the head coach at Florida Atlantic. At 31, he was the head coach of the Oakland Raiders. <laughs> I wonder if there's some kind of like value in going through a more traditional path to becoming a major SEC head coach as opposed because it happened to him in the inverse way, and I wonder if that almost hurt him more than anything. Because like I mentioned last week, that press conference, when Al Davis fired him from the Raiders, you know – Year and a half. It's pretty in, brutal. Was bizarre. Brutal is one way to describe it, but bizarre was another one. And like, obviously, it doesn't seem like he's the same person. Then I don't know. You know, I'm not vouching for whether he's changed or whatever, or his morals or anything like that. I have no idea. That's not really my place. I'm just wondering if there's some kind of value in kind of taking the more traditional path instead of having all that pressure on you at 31 and it crashing and burning so quickly.
2: Well, but he did talk some about kind of being able to learn from those experiences and helped him as a coach. You know, the, the public perception, what we saw was game day, sideline, Nick Saban, Lane Kiffin relationship. And Nick Saban is an intense dude on the sideline on game day. If you do something he doesn't like, he's going to let you hear about it. And so that's all you saw. But as... You hear more about the relationship and the value that Kiffin put on the relationship with Saban and what he talks about having learned about. That's fascinating to me. That, okay, the public perception was one thing, but the reality of that relationship and that situation was vastly different. And Lane uh, Lane Kiffin today, on multiple occasions... Gave Nick Saban a lot of credit for learning how to run the organization, which is something you've heard Nick Saban say a million times. We'll talk with Keith Carter when we come back. Ole Miss Athletics Director, he is on his way to the airport, headed to the College Football Foundation Awards Dinner in New York, but he'll make a few minutes of time for us when we come back. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Let's go straight to the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team. We've got about five minutes with Keith Carter. He's the Athletics Director at Ole Miss, who is now on his way to New York City for the College Football Hall of Fame induction ceremony in which uh, Patrick Willis will be inducted later this week. Keith, when you said, I want to be an Athletics Director, did you know exactly what it was you were signing up for? <laughs>
5: Well, I kind of joke with people, be careful what you wish for, right? Um, you know, no, it's been great. I mean, it's certainly, you know, the first couple of weeks is not necessarily a textbook, but, you know, in our business there is no manual, and, and we know that. I've been around the business long enough to know that things happen when they happen, and you gotta you got to act on those things. But, uh, you know, as I said in the press conference, it's been a hard week in a lot of ways, an emotional week, but uh, certainly today was a lot of fun, and, and getting Lane here, it's, it's going to be great.
2: When you flew down to South Florida and were able to sit down and and talk with Lane for an extended period of time, what stood out to you? What what did you guys cover that made you think, okay, this is the guy I want?
5: Well, you know, I think first and foremost, I mean, I kind of knew the football side of it. I mean, we we, we talked some football and we talked, you know, about X's and O's and schemes and staff and all those things. But I think we spent a lot of time just talking about vision and, and alignment and, and, and just kind of what our kind of common goals and values were, you know. And I think, uh, you know, we, we got to where we felt comfortable with each other. And, and, you know, I got some answers that I needed from him that, you know, uh, kind of what he was looking for with his career and, 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 you know, was wanting to come to a place like Ole Miss where he could put down some roots and, and really build a program for the long term. And so, you know, we talked a lot about us both potentially being new and working together and locking arms and, and really doing something special at Ole Miss, and so uh, I was really excited when I left that meeting and had you know checked a lot of boxes, and, and certainly you know was very impressed with with our conversation.
2: In terms of uh, the contract, I guess it was a week ago today when you had the the press conference, and I asked you about you know the financial implication of making a change and going and hiring a new guy. And, you said there were limitations, but, but you felt like you were going to be able to be competitive in whatever you do. Was money ever an issue in this thing, or was that maybe one of the more simple parts of it?
5: Well, you know, like I said before, there, there were going to be limita- limitations on our end. We, we couldn't you know put a blank check out there. But, you know, I think as, as Lane and I, and I talked, again, we, we kind of shared a vision and, and had a lot of alignment on what we both wanted to, to do. Uh, you know with old Miss football and and I think he thought our job was very attractive. I thought he I think he thought our roster was was really good coming back and and that we could you know they could come in and we could win very quickly and so I think we were attractive and and certainly as we started talking about terms and 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 trying to figure out the finances, you know that that actually was not too hard of a conversation. I think everybody was wanting the same thing and uh, we you know we got with jimmy and 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 you know got it done and so very happy with the way that all went down I think both sides feel like they got a very fair deal and uh, you know, now we're just ready to go to work.
2: Keith, I'm, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic when I say this. I've I have um done a couple of interviews today and people just asked me about the excitement level. And I said, you know, we moved to Oxford in the the late eighties. My kind of history with Ole Miss Athletics starts around nineteen ninety. Yours is more mid to late nineties. I can only think of just a handful of times where I feel like as a whole, the Ole Miss fan base has been more genuinely excited about the same thing and everybody kind of moving in the same direction.
5: It, 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 is that kind of how you feel, also? It is, Richard. You know, and I, I think, again, kind of going back to what I talked about last week in, in the press conference, you know, I, I wanted to find somebody that could do that. And, you know, I think that, you know, Lane certainly has has brand recognition. He's been at some really good places, been at some high profile places. And we just really needed a shot in the arm. And, and, you know, you've got to factor in all factors. I mean, you can't just be somebody coming in with the with the brand uh, that that can't coach and can't mold young men and and those type of things. So, you know, that was kind of where we needed to check some boxes and make sure that we align.
2: Uh, there's a little bit of a funny line in the uh, press conference today where you jumped in and said no quickly. Uh, I think we may have lost Keith uh, just for a second as uh, he is on the road this afternoon. I may have lost him. And uh, anyway, I was going to ask him. Uh, with regard to the buyout i don't know if he's going to give it a, give us a specific number but i uh, was kind of curious if uh felt comfortable in saying that that was a large number if lane kiffin wanted to uh, wanted to leave early so um sports talk mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm you can be a part of the conversation on the seaspire text line the number is 601-879 Four three nine five. Keith, I know we've only got you for a minute or so more. Uh, a little bit of a funny moment in the press conference today, where you jumped in and said no with regard to um, him moving on or using this as a stepping stone. I don't remember exactly uh, the way it was phrased, and then Lane said, "You guys haven't seen my buyout yet." Not necessarily asking for specific numbers, but suffice it to say, uh, protections in place there for Ole Miss.
5: No question, and uh, you know, obviously, don't want to get specific, but. You know, Lane Lane wanted to show that he was committed to Ole Miss, and you know, there's there's some financial terms in there that that protect Ole Miss. But I, I'm telling you, it was it was something he wanted to show that he was going to be here. He was going to build a program the right way, and he was not looking to to jump around. So we were excited about that, and you know, certainly look forward to, to getting everything going.
2: No, it's going to be fun to uh, get to see Patrick Willis officially inducted into the uh, College Football Hall of Fame.
5: Yeah, so much fun. You know, I was I was hoping that we could make it work. Obviously, with everything going on today, and wanted to try to get up to New York for Patrick because just such a great ambassador for Ole Miss and such a great human being. So excited to see him. Uh, maybe later tonight or in the morning, but uh, it's going to be a good night tomorrow night for sure.
2: Safe travels. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Richard. That's Keith Carter joining us on the C-spire, uh Excuse me, on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out Favorites and go with the home team. More with you after this in the Renaissance Bank studio.
4: Sports
2: Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm with you. Monday afternoon, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. Check them out online if you're a farmer in North Mississippi or maybe you're just looking to build a dream home or buy a recreational piece of property. Let Mississippi Land Bank help you. MSLandBank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. What a contrast to what you saw today today in terms of excitement surrounding the announcement of Lane Kiffin and what's happening in Fayetteville right now as Sam Pittman, who is the offensive line coach at Georgia, was hired last night by Hunter Yurachek to be the head coach at Arkansas. And he is um, he's going through his introductory press conference right now. And... Porky, he may be a fantastic coach. He may spend the next 10 to 15 years at Arkansas. Uh, they may win a national championship under Sam Pittman. He's got a great reputation. I know that. But it's like, I wonder if somebody could maybe get him a cup of coffee to uh, kind of get through this press conference.
3: <laughs> Rippy, if you, you had like one a of those Red Bulls right handy, now.
2: then you could toss it through the, computers or the TV screen to him. I would encourage you to do that.
3: I don't think he could handle it.
2: You don't think he could handle it? Okay. What did you say, Borky? He looks like a mob boss. Uh, Charcoal gray pinstripe suit with a black shirt and a bright red tie.
1: It's an interesting dude. His social media is something else. Um, High energy.
2: That get up is so much better if he just puts on a white shirt. He should have worn his agent suit. (laughs) That's kind of a... It's kind of a funny line today. Um, let's see, just after four o'clock, it's time for winners and losers. Let's do that.
4: All I, all I, all I, all all I do, do is it, win, 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 no matter what. I'm a loser,
2: baby. We got
5: winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Winner, never
2: Winners and losers from the weekend. We want to hear from you. What did you like? What did you not like? What stood out to you? You can go NFL. You can go college. You can go coaching carousel. Whatever stands out. We'll get to yours coming up in uh, in just a couple of minutes. We'll start, though, with ours. And, Borky, I will give you the honors. First winner of the weekend is whom?
1: A guy named John McKissick. Um, He is, or or was, uh, unfortunately. He passed away at the age of 93 recently, but he was the winningest football coach ever at any level. 621 victories at Somerville High School in Somerville, South Carolina. He was 621 in 155 as a head coach, 10 state championships. He started in 1952, retired actually a few years ago in 2014. But Uh, we lost the winningest football coach in history of the sport at competitive football and uh, what a winner john mckissick in a a great life and may he rest in peace
2: yeah i'll kind of go along those lines as well as we uh, we lost an inspirational guy from the city of boston pete freitas whose name you may or may not recognize has ultimately lost his battle with als lou Gehrig's disease died at earlier today at the age of uh, 34. Pete Freitas is the guy who brought the Ice Bucket Challenge into national relevance and helped raise millions and millions of dollars to find a cure for the awful, ugly, dreaded Lou Gehrig's disease, or ALS. Um, I kind of got familiar with the Pete Freitas story a few years ago. You remember when... um, uh, Boston College played in a baseball regional that was here in Oxford. Pete played baseball at uh, at Boston College and was a big part of their team, was around the program. He wasn't in a position at the time where he was healthy enough that he could travel, but was kind of a big inspiration uh, for them, uh, had thrown out the first pitch or, or kind of ceremonially been part of the first pitch a couple of times, and just a really guy, a good guy that inspired a ton of people. But uh, passes away at 34 years old. Just awful.
3: Rippy, give me a winner. The international team in the President's Cup? Okay. They, If you need bulletin board material or you need stuff for the fans to heckle you, Patrick Reed provided it. I guess this counts as a loser as well. <laughs> Cheater? I don't think he has any idea this is coming either, but they are going to kill him all week on this. In Australia? Yeah, because as you saw, he did everything basically in a waste bunker, but actually get out a shovel and excavate an island around his lie, um, and then completely denied it. And actually, he honestly, this was a power move on Reed part, Reed's part. He actually got upset... Um, he kind of pulled the card with, yeah, I can't believe they called that on me, but I'm a I'm a big man, so I'm just going to take the penalty and walk away. And this, isn't yeah, buddy, this a guy who's got a history of cheating accusations, long and well documented at Georgia, Augusta State, what he, have you?
2: He's a really good golfer that nobody that's ever played golf with him likes. Yeah. Like his teammates on these cups, these teams don't like him.
3: Weird question. What, Is no, he I, I don't think. I, but I, I don't think that's in. Well, everywhere else, yet, no. But I, I do think it was the amount of success he's had in this thing and the amount of energy he brings. I do think if you're paired with him in one of these things, it's probably like kind of enter, energizing and not so bad in the moment. But wasn't the story from a couple of years ago that nobody wanted to go out and play with him? No, he. Well, it wasn't quite that. He got mad that he wasn't paired with Spieth for a second day after they had a 2-0 and day, and the na- the other details of that are escaping me right now. Oh, Spieth wanted to go play with JT or somebody like that, right? Or something, but it wasn't really his call. It was the captain's call, and he split him up. He was upset about that. Yeah. Well, uh, well, fair enough. Obviously,
2: Ole Miss football fans feel like they're winners right now, uh, not based on any scoreboard result, and there are other people that roll their eyes as a result of that. But just having... A feeling of hope with uh, with the team that you cheer for makes you feel like a winner, and that's not something that uh, most Ole Miss fans have had in a while. And people have—I mean, they've checked out. They were completely checked out, and you know, maybe we didn't do a good enough job kind of talking about that. And I mean, I think we talked about the empty seats and the fact that uh, people weren't buying season tickets. Obviously, it's not like we ignored that storyline. But I don't know if we put enough emphasis onto, into it. The interesting thing, though, is when people check out, it's really easy to go, "Hey, yeah, you're not going to be able to get those folks back. Borky, it appears to be quite the opposite. Not only are the people who say, you know what, I'd kind of given up on it, not only are they coming back, but it feels like you've got a, a, a new crop of fans that's kind of jumping on board as well. Well, you don't get them back without change, but the biggest deal, and I said this
1: on JT show earlier, is that this is Ole Miss telling their fans and their people that they believe and are actively doing what it takes to actually win at a high level. Like There were a lot of safe hires out there, but safe doesn't actually win at a high level at Ole Miss. You can't be safe. Safe can get you to a bowl game and everybody will give you a nice little pat on the head and tell you how great of a job you're doing. Heck, you had national media people call Ole Miss insane for moving on from Matt Luke after a 4-8 and season. This is Keith Carter, the Ole Miss administration, telling their fans, we understand the risks, but we think we can win and this guy can win. Risks be damned. It's the first time in years they've heard that. Or at least been able to see that and touch it and know that that's actually what's happening in their front
0: office.
3: I actually, like. on that note, I have no idea if this is going to work. But the argument... Obviously, there are ways there where it could be an ugly flame out in terms of like off-the-field stuff. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. But the I don't understand the it's-not-going-to-end-well take because how many coaching tenures at any programs across the country quote-unquote end well? Don't they always end in a firing? Most of the time in less than a decade? A firing or a retirement. But I would say retirement's a tiny... Oh, no, no, I, I, I don't disagree with that. So I, I, I guess I don't understand the, like, looking at it, having covering all this stuff for the last, like, four plus years, and I guess watching it fairly closely before that, I don't really understand the, like, the the hesitancy to take a risk. What they were doing previously clearly wasn't working. So if you're scared it's not going to end well, well, guess what? Like, if you made a safe hire, odds are it eventually wasn't going to end well? Like I, I guess I don't really understand that line of thinking.
1: We had somebody text us and say, well, he'll leave in three or four years anyway. Okay.
3: Yeah, man, if he left Ole Miss at three or four years, that means he won at a level to where everyone else is probably fairly happy that follow the program or whatever. I mean, you can't make hires really in
1: day. fear of them leaving. You, just, you can't do that.
3: Yeah, and
2: the whole don't use this as a stepping stone thing, I feel like that's a myth that has kind of been, you know, would Memphis trade the time it's had with Mike Norvell because he left for Florida State? He's
3: also starting at $4 million a year and change.
2: Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippy. Actually, Haydad is out today. He'll join us again later this week after finishing off a little vacation time. If he were on the phone right now, Will East would be on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. That's where all guests appear on Sports Talk Mississippi. But Will is in the studio in Jackson. And it's time for us to uh, wrap up the high school football season. Three champions crowned on Friday, three more champions crowned on Saturday. We had a couple of pretty epic finishes over the course of the weekend. It's pretty good will
0: it was pretty good but at the same time it was i think i told you guys on friday afternoon that hey most of these games are usually really close and they come down to the wire and i shouldn't have said that because i obviously jinxed it we had uh i think all six games were decided by 10 points or more uh and to tell you kind of how rare that is, I was like, man, this, this doesn't seem right. You know, usually we have at least a, you know, a seven-point game or a three-point game. And I said, I'm going to look back at the, the record books and see if we've ever had anything like this. Uh, as far back as I could look in the record books, this is the only time that I could find where every classification won by 10 points or more. Wow. Going back at least to 1997
2: there was at the very least significant excitement in the 6A state championship game on friday night as oak grove jumped out to a 21 to 3 lead 21 3 and then oxford came all the way back and won it 31 21 and it was tighter than that with about 2 minutes to go you know oxford or 5 minutes to go whatever the amount of time was oxford got a big late touchdown run on I think it was second and goal from the
0: 25 something like that yeah uh you know Oxford they there were Owen four. I think Owen 4 coming into this in state championship games and you're coming up against a team and you're you're down 21 to 3 at halftime and you think oh here we go again and then they just find a way JJ Pegues just finds a way um, to uh to to rumble off yards any way that he can get them, whether it's through the air or on the ground, it doesn't matter, and they win thirty-one to twenty-one. This is the to me this is the most surprising six-a team that we've had win. Both the teams were surprising this year, but this is the most surprising uh, champion that we've crowned probably in the past. I don't know five or six years. Oxford winning this thing.
2: Yeah, and you know Oxford gets blown out in game two of the season by Starkville, and then they win thirteen in a row to camp a, uh, a one-loss season. And along the way, they beat uh, Starkville in the playoffs. They beat um, South Panola in the playoffs and, and then beat a really good Oak Grove team and have to come from behind to do so. 5A, we talked about the fact that this was going to be the final game that Dodd-Lee coached in at uh, at Picayune, two teams that love to run the football. West Point has been such a power. I know there were a lot of people that thought, well, maybe this is the year where the outcome is a little bit different But it was more the same with the Green Wave winning their third consecutive state championship. Fourth
0: consecutive. Fourth Fourth in a row. row. Yeah. And this one looked like it was going to be the monster game that we had all hoped that it would be. I mean, I think at halftime it was 21-20. Uh, in fact, West Point was up to a big lead. They had a 21-7 lead, and then Picayune scores the touchdown, and then they get a pick six to make it uh, 21-20 going into halftime, and you're thinking, wow, oh, here we go. This is going to be the, the monster epic game that we were all hoping for all year long because uh, we knew that Picayune was probably going to be it in the south, and we figured West Point would be in the north. So everybody from the get-go this season has been thinking it was going to be West Point and Picayune. But then in the second half, it was all green wave. The green wave defense held Picayune to 197 rushing yards, which sounds like a lot. But when you consider the fact that the Baroon Tide have averaged something like 300 yards per game rushing the ball coming into that one, uh, that's a pretty good achievement by the, uh, by the West Point defense. And throughout all these championship uh, teams that they've had over the years, they've been Known for their defense and also for their their running game, and no different this year. Brandon Harris, get, get this stat line: he finishes the night with 58 yards rushing and two touchdowns. Okay, all right, there you go. Yep, okay. He went two of three passing for 109 yards with a touchdown. He had two passes go for 50 plus yards. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah.
2: That is uh that's big time. You were telling me on Friday just how good Corinth was. And then we look at the final and they win 55 to 21 over Poplarville. Boy, they they were really impressive.
0: They were really impressive. The only loss they had this year was a 3-point loss to Six Says Tupelo. Uh, outside of that, they have been just unstoppable. Tam Patterson and DT Sheffield at quarterback and uh, both those guys They stepped up huge in this game. Uh, It's Corinth's first state title in school history. Like I said, they were 14-1. You just kind of knew from the get-go this year that that Corinth was the team to beat, especially in the north part of the state. Now, there were some other contenders in there. You had Itawamba AHS, who went undefeated for a long time, up until they ran into Corinth. Uh, In the south part of 4A, you had South Pike, who at one point – had the number one offense and I think the number one defense or at least the number two defense, excuse me, in the state uh, as far as stats were concerned, uh, but they they just didn't have what Corinth had. Corinth just had not only a great defense but they had that suffocating run game. And DT Sheffield, he finishes the game. Uh, uh, against Poplarville, with 220 yards rushing, ten carries, three touchdowns, Ooh. five of six passing for 164 yards and two touchdowns. There, very efficient, very methodical. Corinth was all year long. These kids have been playing together for a long time now, uh, and Coach Lowry, Coach Todd Lowry, has kind of brought them up in that 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 weird kind of triple option, but not quite triple option offense, and. They, you could tell that they, they were experts at it now, and it really showed uh, against Poplarville. Uh, we
2: talked on Friday afternoon about Jefferson, Jefferson Davis County winning 25-15 over, uh, over Knoxby County. Taylorsville got the 48-18 win yeah. over Northside. <laughs> uh, impressive win for the
0: Tartars. Here's the stat of the game for you. Northside allowed more points in this game than they allowed in every other game this season combined. In the 14 Mm. games that Northside played this season, they had only given up a grand total of 34 points. They had nine shutouts this year. They had not allowed an opponent to score in double digits since way back, uh, I think on September 28, 2018. They allowed 49 points in this game. They lose 49 to 18 and Ty Keys. There was like there's like five other guys on that team who have the initial TK. Uh, there's Travis Keys and Tavares Keys, and then there's Ty Keyes, who's the quarterback for Taylorsville. He finished the night 12 of 18 for 124 yards, 50 yards rushing, uh, with a touchdown, and uh, it's their second state title in the last three years. Their seventh state title overall. You know, last year they went to the state championship game, but Ty Keys was hurt. They lost to Scott Central. Well, they got the last laugh, winning uh, another state title for Taylorsville.
2: Really impressive. This college football, or college football, sorry, this high school football season, in some ways it delivered in a really big way. There were some ways that it was kind of a strange season. What's going to stand out to you, Will, for 2019 high school football in Mississippi?
0: It was unpredictable. That, that, that to me is the most telling thing. Outside of 5A, Every other classification was somewhat unpredictable. Yeah, we knew Corinth was really good, but you had some other really good teams in there. But nobody had Oxford and Oak Grove in the state championship game. Nobody had Poplarville in the state championship game. Nobody had Jefferson Davis County in this state championship game. Hey, St- Jefferson Davis County was 2-5 and five, uh, back on October 11th, and here they are winning the state championship game. And then, of course, you had uh, Taylorsville. They were really good from the get-go. You knew that they were going to be good because of Tykes. But Northside, a team that's only been in existence two years, that's somewhat, nobody penciled them in. And then Nanawaya, they won it for a second year in a row, but you know... Everybody every year in 1A has picked uh, Hollandale Simmons to be there, and they struggled this year. So you had a lot of turnover, I would say, this season. Uh, a lot of the, the powerhouses from years past really struggled this year. Uh, now, eventually, as the season wore on, they got better. But at one point, you know, Starville was was 1-2. and two. You had Brandon had lost a game. Uh, it just seems like, to me, it was the year of unpredictability. We just really – you really didn't know what was going to happen from week to week. Heck, West Point, the 5A state champ, they lost to a 4A team early in the year. Crazy. Really is
2: crazy. That'll put a bow on our high school football coverage. Great job all year, Will, with uh, that, that you and Steven uh, did with the um, high school football preview show. And, uh, of course, Steven Gagliano, who was actually in Oxford the last couple of days covering – uh, Lane Kiff and stuff, getting video for News Mississippi and for us at supertalk.fm. Great job by him. First year hosting yes, the uh, Mississippi Farm Bureau scoreboard show. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you, my man. Yes, sir. That is Will East with our high school football wrap-up. We've got more with you streaming online at supertalk.fm in the Renaissance Bank studio, Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Come,
1: comes Santa Claus. Mama's bacon turkey.
2: Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Let's take a look at some of the other stuff that happened in the college football world this weekend. Going back to Friday night, Oregon 37-15 over Utah. Michael, a really impressive performance by Oregon. It's almost like Utah was never even in the game. Yeah, that was the Oregon team that I thought we were going to see all year. Well, it's the Oregon team, if we had seen a couple of weeks ago against Arizona State, would probably be in the college football playoff. Probably so, and I saw a lot of people say, well,
1: this will de-incentivize Oregon playing teams like Auburn because if they never lose to Auburn, well, then they're in the playoff. Well, then don't lose to a 500 Arizona State team. That's on you. Just like Ohio State last year, last two seasons. Don't lose to Purdue. Don't get beat by 30 at Iowa and then you won't be left out of the playoff. Like, I get it. And expanding the playoff, as we've talked about, would incentivize more games like Oregon and Auburn, but they only have themselves to blame for that one. Spinning it as a schedule quirk is really stupid.
2: Justin Herbert was really just kind of okay. 14 of 26, 193 yards a touchdown, was not intercepted in the game. C.J. Verdell, though, was really good. 18 carries, 208 yards. He averaged 11.5 yards per carry. Really explosive, including a 70 yard touchdown run, three touchdowns in the ballgame. And both Oregon and Utah finish 11 2 going into their bowl games. All right, Saturday night, Ohio State 34 21 over Wisconsin. It was 24 21 going into the fourth quarter. Wisconsin led. 14 to nothing. They were ahead 14 to 7 and then they scored right before halftime to make it 21 to 7. But the second half was all was uh, excuse me all Ohio State. 17 third quarter points, 10 in the fourth quarter. They don't cover, but they do get the 13 point win and were dominant in the second half. probably the way we thought they would be.
1: Yeah, they finally decided in the second half to stop getting cute and just hand the ball off to J.K. Dobbins, and he took over the game. Who'd have thought?
2: Yeah. J.K. Dobbins, 33 carries for 172 yards and a touchdown. Jonathan Taylor is a grown man, 20 carries for 148 yards. He averaged 7.4 yards per carry and a uh, a touchdown pa- uh, run in the game. He also had a couple of catches. Uh, Justin Fields, 19 of 31. Two hundred ninety-nine yards, three touchdowns. However, sack yardage goes into uh, into play. Twelve carries for Justin Fields in the game for one yard.
1: It's the dumbest thing about college stat keeping.
2: Uh, let's see, Fields was sacked five, five times. times. Yeah, five times sacked in the uh, in the ball game.
1: I'm telling you, Ohio State secondary has some issues. I, I mean, because it's not like Wisconsin's a kind of passing offense that scares you and god bless jack Cony. he's not trevor lawrence who ohio state's going to see here in a few weeks they might have to score 45 points or so to beat clemson because they're not good in the back end of their defense and supposedly they're supposed to have nfl guys back there doesn't look like it
2: you're talking about ohio state
1: yeah they they give up big plays in the secondary
2: far too often we're going to circle back, by the way, in a little while to the uh, to the SEC Championship game and talk about it a little bit more. Clemson, 62-17 to over Virginia. Virginia got a touchdown early in the first quarter, a touchdown in the third quarter, a field goal in the fourth quarter. Clemson went 14-17, 14-17. They hang 62 on Virginia to get to 13-0 on the year. Went another... ACC championship game. Trevor Lawrence, 16 22, 302, four touchdowns through the air. Travis Etienne went for 114 yards and a touchdown. Clemson, they're just dominant. Virginia's an, I mean, they're not a great football team, but they're a good football team. It's
1: pretty embarrassing for the league, though, isn't it?
5: Having an entire division
1: being non competitive. I mean, Dabo's goofy five foot eight kid caught three passes in the game.
3: <laughs> Did he really? Yeah. Looks just well, like that Florida too. By the State, way, Florida State before that really saved it from being much of the same for even longer. But they're in the even same division. Was, with, yeah, no. But even when it I'm not even just talking about the conference championship today, I'm talking about the overall competitiveness of the conference. Can you imagine if Florida State hadn't have been good in the? what that's twenty really 2009-2012 to 2012 yeah, height of it? Like It would have been much more the same, would it not? Yeah, you, no, you're right. But I mean, look, the ACC needs Florida State to get good
2: again. And they need Miami to get good again. And they need Virginia Tech to get good and then kind of stay good. And they need North Carolina to kind of build things back up. I mean, you don't have to have 14 teams in your league that are really good. But you need half of the teams in your league to be good and two or three to be really good. All the ACC has right now, though, is one team that's great and then three or four teams that are good, and then everybody else is just kind of, meh. And maybe Dabo would get mad at me for saying that because he says, our conference is undervalued. No, it's not really undervalued. It's just not very good. It's just not. Oklahoma 30-23 to over Baylor. Another tough loss for Baylor. Oklahoma gets in the playoff after the win, which tells us probably that Baylor, if they had won that game, would have gotten in as well. It was an overtime win. Really good football game. Oklahoma jumped out to a 10-0 lead. Baylor scored 13 in the second quarter. They led 13-10. to Ten third-quarter points for Oklahoma to put them up Twenty to thirteen, and then Baylor scores ten in the fourth quarter, and you get a field goal from Oklahoma to make it twenty three twenty three, send it to overtime. Baylor can't score in the overtime period. Oklahoma does, and they win it thirty to twenty three. Do you have fun watching that game? It was great
1: start to the day. And did you see the committee member after the game say that their final debate for the last spot was between Georgia and Oklahoma? So you're right, the winner of that game would have gone on because there's no debate after the way Georgia got beat the way they did in the SEC championship game. If Baylor would have pulled it off, Matt Rule would have had them in a college football playoff, believe it or not.
2: Memphis 29-24, maybe the most entertaining game of the day. Would you argue with that? I wouldn't. That just it was a fun game. Memphis led 10 to 7 after a quarter. It was 14 to 10 Cincinnati at the half. Memphis trailed by 12120 going into the fourth quarter. And uh then Memphis gets 9 points in the uh, in the fourth quarter. Cincinnati kicks a field goal, 5 point difference. Brady White below 50% passing, 18 of 40. They're for 250 yards and a touchdown in the game. Um, Devontae Coxey he had a big game for Memphis. He's the, the big wide receiver. Had nine catches for 165 yards.
1: Am I overthinking this, or is it really impressive for both Memphis and Florida Atlantic to play the way they did and win their conference championship games while both knowing that their
2: coach is gone? And it was two different types of games. I mean... Florida Atlantic went out and curb stomped. I mean, clearly the better team. They played well. They played for their coach. This was, I mean, Memphis and Cincinnati, the same two teams playing each other that played eight days earlier, arguably the biggest game in Memphis football history, and somehow Mike Norvell was able to kind of hold out the noise I think there's a pretty special relationship between Mike Norvell and that team. And I think he did everything he could and gave everything he could to get Memphis ready for that game, knowing full well that he was headed to Florida State as soon as it was over. I mean, that game ends at 7 o'clock local time and at noon Eastern the next day. He's announced as the head coach under much less fanfare, with much less fanfare than saw here. Now. Are you surprised by that? I mean, I know it for some
1: reason they're not excited by that hire, which is insane, but he gets out of the car and there's like four people standing
2: there giving a golf clap. Yeah. That's Florida State. It is. Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming online at supertalk.fm. We got more coming up in the Renaissance Bank Studio.
3: That's Christmas to me.
2: Who's that, Borky? That Pentatonics or somebody else? Yes, sir. You nailed it.
3: Like it. It was
2: right there on the tip of Rippy's tongue as well.
0: Mom and Daddy <laughs>
2: if you listen to some of their stuff, yeah, it's good. They're good.
3: I'm still blocking off vacation to go on tour with the Trent Siberian Orchestra. Are you?
2: Yeah, it's gonna be a roadie.
3: Bought a van. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah, the guy got engaged uh, there after his, what was it, his third TSO concert? Maybe you could give that a shot.
3: Is that what the kids call it, TSO? That's what he Okay. texted us last week.
2: C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Kelso in Ocean Springs says JMU 66-21 over Monmouth. Moving on in the FCS playoffs, Kelso, our resident James Madison fan. Go Dukes. David in Oxford says Hugh Freeze to Memphis. You buying it?
1: Seems like Falwell's breaking the bank to keep him at Liberty, though.
2: Well, that report was out before the whole Hugh Freeze to Memphis thing really started, wasn't it? And if you're the or, followers, or I don't actual know you... number associated with that.
1: Oh, I don't know, but uh, considering their financial situation, that number is probably limitless. If anybody can pay a Group of Five coach Power Five money, it's Liberty.
2: Yeah, no, I I agree with you on that point. And uh, who knows? I mean, maybe it's cash. Maybe it's just like some sort of a real estate deal where he can put a gym or who knows there seem to be all kinds of creative ways to uh, take care of people at liberty what do you mean <laughs> although i probably shouldn't say anymore i mean i'm just saying that based on some news stories that i've read and apparently falwell's suing everybody that says anything negative about them
1: oh my bad
2: hmm. we've got really good in-house counsel though don't we yeah we do yeah, I, I feel confident in Ashley's ability to uh, to help me. Blessings to you. <laughs> I'm just saying, in the event that... Well, and we've also got Mama Rippy, right? Yeah. Would she help? Maybe. Now, she was looking for somebody to sue over the Pringles incident.
3: Depends on what I did and the role I played in it. Would she
2: be more or likely or, or less likely to help me if you were involved? Less. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Uh Jeff and Grenada says Baylor Oklahoma was the most exciting game of the weekend. That's fair. It kind
1: of feels like Oklahoma's going to get smoked by LSU, doesn't it? It uh, maybe Although a running quarterback did put up 600 yards of offense against LSU a few weeks ago. Like, Georgia not looking good didn't answer all of the questions about LSU's defense.
2: Jalen, well, am I going to say that out loud? Am I going to say it out loud? Go for it. Do it. Jalen Hurts is not as good a runner as John Rice Plumlee. He's a much better.
1: You'd have a, people that would disagree passer. with that, but I, I think you're probably right. But he does Nick, have the other element.
2: Nick in Oxford, any truth to the Matt Luke to Georgia as an offensive line coach rumor? I don't know. Yeah, Sam Pittman gets the head coaching job at Arkansas, that certainly leaves an opening on Kirby's staff at uh, at Georgia. I don't know what the relationship is between Kirby Smart and Matt Luke. I don't know if Matt Luke feels the need or has the desire to jump right back into coaching right now. Um His buyout money is not affected by taking another job one way or the other. So if he wants to go coach at Georgia, it does, does not affect what Ole Miss owes him. If he wants to take a year off, it doesn't affect what Ole Miss owes him. I don't know how you approach that. Obviously, I've never been in that situation. My thought is, and it really might not be a bad idea to take some time off. And, yeah, you know, who knows? Maybe you can go just to kind of dabble in it. Maybe there's some consulting work you could do, like, on a part-time basis. Maybe. But what if you just rest and go on three or four vacations and go to all your kids' ball games and hang out with your wife and just chill for a year? I don't know. I mean, certainly you would think that that would be a good opportunity. Very reliable source who flies Cocho everywhere told me that Joe Burrow was coming back next year.
3: Uh, somebody gonna tell him?
1: I replied, I said, I bet your friend 10 grand that he does not.
3: See if he takes the bait. He may come back, he won't be playing football. Shh, Rippy. Sports Talk,
2: Mississippi, with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio, streaming online at supertalk.fm. College football fix coming your way next. In the Renaissance Bank studio, Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online, supertalk.fm, Monday afternoon. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind and you are in North Mississippi, let the folks at Mississippi Land Bank help you out. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. They understand the business that you're in if you're a farmer. They also understand that uh, if you're building a dream home in the country and a little bit of acreage, that's just a little bit different. It's not quite as simple as just getting a conventional mortgage, and they will more uh, be more than happy to help you with that process. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Time right now for the college football fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford tough. And don't forget, you've got end-of-the-year savings, holiday savings available right now at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Up to 20% off manufacturer's suggested retail price, MSRP if you prefer, on Ford SUVs and trucks, including the F-150, the best-selling truck in America, for $30. Conce- uh, excuse me, 43 consecutive years. I don't know where 30 came from. Only a decade and a half short there. College football playoff is set. LSU, Oklahoma, in a place where LSU is quite comfortable and quite familiar. Back in Atlanta, Mercedes Benz Stadium. In Phoenix, or Glendale, if you prefer. Number two, Ohio State. Number three, Clemson.
1: This is basically what everybody predicted switching. LSU and
2: Alabama. Yeah, it really is.
3: But it I, for one, would never have guessed this.
2: Does it make it any less exciting, though? No these yes. these three football games should be great.
3: Yeah, the games itself should be great. Regular season was not. No.
1: Yeah, what are we worried about devaluing the regular regular season for? What yeah, value is there in it?
2: Greatest regular season in all of athletics. Except it's not. I will say part of the reason that this year was so frustrating week to week is because you had two open dates. In a year where you've only got one open date, everything gets compacted by a week, and you don't have as many Saturdays where you – I mean, just in terms of math, you're going to have more better games when teams can't take two open dates.
3: Maybe so, but this year it seemed like you had more ranked matchups just Spread by three touchdowns and decided by four, than you've had. The gap continues to be, to me, at least seems to be continuing to widen.
2: Who would you rather see LSU play besides Oklahoma in a semifinal game? Ohio State. In a semifinal game? Hey, you asked who would you rather see
1: them play? Are you talking about somebody outside of the top? Yeah, four? somebody, somebody okay. not in
2: the playoff. Is there a team that you would rather see LSU play that is not in the playoff? Besides Oklahoma,
1: Alabama again. I mean, it, I think they would run through anybody that's left outside of the top four. I mean, we've kind of seen it, right? Look at what they. I did mean, what to are the Georgia? options? The
2: options are Utah, Oregon, Baylor, Oklahoma. That's really it. Yeah. We got so much time between now and then to get into these matchups and look more closely at them and break them down. But at first glance, is there anything that you can see Oklahoma doing to give LSU some real trouble? Jalen Hurts involved in
1: the run game. He's going to have to beat him with his legs. I mean, what... As you mentioned, Plumlee's probably... At least... You think he's faster? Because he looks faster. Straight line speed. Yeah, I think probably so. Hertz is a bigger guy. Which probably hurts, no pun intended, his ability to get up to the speed as quickly as Plumlee does. But that's I don't what i Hurts is good, man. Yeah. He, he's really, really good. <laughs> I mean, he's special himself, but... He'll have to throw the ball effectively, but spreading LSU out and him running the football is what will keep them in the game. But they're going to have to it, score 40 points.
2: I was going to say, doesn't it feel like if they want to, LSU could score 50 or 60? Probably, yeah.
1: I mean, they had to go to overtime with Baylor, who played three quarterbacks. I mean, Didn't have an option there.
2: Ohio State, Clemson. Man, that's fun.
1: Wonder how I mean. I guess they did it last year, and it's largely the same personnel. But Clemson will be challenged for the first time this season in the playoff. Have yet to even be in a competitive game in the fourth quarter. You got a lean,
2: an early lean in that game, Rippy?
3: Mm, no, not really. Those are probably. I mean, Clemson's a favorite, and most people have said Ohio State's the best team they've seen this year, eye test-wise. So, no, I did not.
2: Those two games are going to happen on December 28th, 3 o'clock Central Time, Oklahoma, LSU, and Atlanta, 7 o'clock Central Time, Clemson, Ohio State, and Glendale. What a great day of football. You've got a couple of other bowl games that are happening that day, including Memphis, Penn State, and the Cotton Bowl and Notre Dame-Iowa State in the Camping World Bowl. Both of those games are at 11. So that's a Saturday. And then no games on Sunday because, obviously, Sunday's NFL. And then you get to Monday. So let's look at the other SEC Bowl games. First of all, Mississippi State going to Nashville to take on Louisville. So a a rematch of the Gator Bowl from a couple of years ago. Mississippi State-Louisville. Remember, Mississippi State won that game with Keaton Thompson playing quarterback Lamar Jackson Was the quarterback for Louisville coming off his Heisman Trophy win? I think it's a, I think it could be a pretty fun game. Could be a pretty fun matchup. Obviously, Mississippi State coming off the Egg Bowl win, six and six on the year. Louisville, seven and five. Game is at three o'clock on Monday afternoon, December 30th. And I saw some tweets yesterday that said, all right, Bulldog fans, you have been very vocal about wanting to end up in Nashville for this game. And John Cohen worked really hard behind the scenes to trade, swap, bargain, whatever to get Mississippi State to Nashville. So now you got to back it up and show up in big numbers for the game. Didn't Tennessee year, have a hand in that
1: as well? Because their local boosters didn't want to just stay home. They wanted a Florida trip, so they were kind of weary about the Music City Bowl themselves. Wasn't it kind of yeah, a perfect I read score? that.
2: I, I read that, I don't know all the background there, but, yeah, it was pretty clear that Tennessee wanted to play in Jacksonville. They're going to do that on Thursday, January 2nd, against Indiana. So Tennessee against Indiana in Jacksonville. And... You know, if they wanted to go there and Mississippi State really wanted to go to Nashville, there was some talk about Kentucky to Nashville. They ended up putting Kentucky in the Belk Bowl in Charlotte instead. So here's the here, here are the SEC bowl games. Obviously, LSU involved in the college football playoff. Oklahoma State, Texas A&M in the Texas Bowl. I mean, A&M will have... Fifty thousand people at that game, and Oklahoma State tends to travel well as also Florida, Virginia in the Orange Bowl. I'm sure Virginia, you know, playing in a game of that stat- magnitude will take a bunch of fans. But you got to think the Orange Bowl is really excited about getting the Gators. And you get an SEC-ACC matchup there. Belt Bowl, Virginia Tech, Kentucky. So Justin Fuente's team that got beat by Virginia in a rivalry game to end the year. Kentucky, who has just been a fun story. And Mark Stoops staying put. He's done a really good job there and continues to kind of build not just teams, but a program the Outback Bowl matchup. Minnesota and Auburn. So you remember last year it was Auburn that just put a beat down in the Music City Bowl. Who was it they played? Wake Forest. Wake.
3: I thought it was Northwestern.
2: It was Wake. Smoked them last year. It's a good Minnesota team. So those two teams will play in Tampa. Michigan no, and Alabama. Purdue.
1: Excuse me. Same color. Yeah, scheme, there, you go. Purdue.
2: there you go. Purdue. Thank you. Um, Michigan, Alabama in the Citrus Bowl. Georgia and Baylor in the Sugar Bowl. We'll talk about those two games when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank Studio. We'll also get to more of what Lane Kiffin had to say today in his introductory press conference. Back after this, that's your college football fix in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Riffey. Monday afternoon. So the two remaining games that we were looking at involving SEC teams in the bowl game. Citrus Bowl. Michigan most recently losing to Ohio State. Alabama most recently losing to Auburn. When you look at Nick Saban's tenure, there are a couple of postseasons that really jump out to uh, out to you. Alabama playing in bowl games that are not part of the college football playoff. They have not been super impressive. Will Alabama be motivated for the game against Michigan?
1: That's the question, right? Rhino asked me earlier today if if he should go to the uh, sportsbook at Timeout Lounge and hammer Michigan because the Citrus Bowl does not seem like a game that Alabama will care at all about.
2: I mean, you just never know though, right? Yeah. Obviously, Mac Jones is going to be excited about it. It's another opportunity for him to start as quarterback at at Alabama.
1: Is it a surefire thing that Tua's little brother starts next year? Because Look, I know he threw two interceptions, both of which went back for touchdowns, probably the difference in the game outside of a missed field goal, but he looked good in the Iron Bowl, and that's a good Auburn defense that they scored a lot of points on.
2: All right, so going back to 2010, Alabama in bowl games. Played in the Capital One Bowl. They beat Michigan State, just beat them like a drum, and then won national championships in the next two years. Twenty thirteen Sugar Bowl, which was not a playoff game, was not the BCS title game. Oklahoma beat Alabama forty five to thirty-one. That was with Trevor Who as a quarterback at Oklahoma? Yes. Trevor Knight. Yeah.
1: The guy that was cursed by Katy Perry.
2: Twenty fourteen, Alabama lost to Ohio State, but that was in a playoff game. Uh, 2015, they win the national championship against Clemson. 2016, they lose in the national championship game. 2017, they win the national championship game against Georgia. 2018, they lose the national championship game against Clemson. This year, it's the Citrus Bowl. So you've got that Oklahoma game that stands out when they played in the Sugar Bowl. If you want to go back a little bit farther than that, you can look at Alabama. They lost that game to Utah when Urban Meyer was still there. So, I mean, it's kind of a small sample size of Alabama not being involved in a national championship game or the playoff under Dick Saban. So, see what year was that loss to Utah? That was 2009. They got beat 31-17. Everybody kind of points to that one, too, don't 2008, they? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, go ahead, Borky.
1: Everybody points to that one, too, don't they? As the Alabama doesn't care if they're not in the playoff because they lost to Utah that one-time thing.
2: Yeah. I mean, so the 7 season, Alabama goes and plays in the Independence Bowl, and they beat Colorado. So Nick Saban's first year was 2006 no no 2007 was his first season so they win the independence bowl the next year they play in the sugar bowl and they lose to Utah then they win three out of the next four national championship games after playing and winning back to back national championship games for the 2011 and 2012 seasons 2013 season they don't make it and they get popped by Oklahoma and we kind of went through the others. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to think. how many Alabama players are going to say, you know what, I'm going to get ready for the NFL. And then Georgia and Baylor in the Sugar Bowl.
1: Kind of lacks, even with the brand of Georgia, kind of lacks the pizzazz, doesn't it?
2: Well, yeah, Georgia-Texas, which felt very name-brand last year. And there was you know, a fair amount of excitement. Even though in the year before that, you had Georgia losing in the national championship game. So it felt like a step down, but still, it's not like they're playing Texas. Which maybe they're glad they're not playing Texas, considering how that game went. There's some disappointment there for Baylor also, but Baylor was 1-11 and three years ago.
1: Is this Matt Rule's final game as the Baylor head coach? What, seven NFL jobs opening next year? That's all everybody talks about is Matt Rule's destined for the NFL.
2: Would they let him wear that smock in the NFL? I kind of like that. What do you mean you like that? I'd wear one. You've also got a t-shirt that's got Drew Brees' face all over it. It's a good t-shirt. I got a lot of compliments that day.
3: You don't like this... The vest? But
2: it's not like it's a vest thing. It's like a... It's like a... a it, it's like a smock. It's like a hooded, sleeveless shirt that he wears over a T-shirt. So It's, a, it's an odd that. look. Why is that an odd look? It's an odd look. Whatever works for you. I mean, go for it. He's a heck of a football coach. We- wear whatever you want to wear. He's kind of just curious if... I mean, good grief... Bill Belichick wears hoodies with the sleeves cut off. Sure, he can wear whatever he wants to. As long as it's got a swoosh on it. Um. So those are the bowl games involving SEC teams. What about Indiana-Tennessee? Is that a fun game in Jacksonville? Very well could be. Really,
1: Tom Allen's now a $4 million head coach.
2: Good for him. Super guy. Super guy and a good football coach as well.
1: That's a place where people think it's impossible to win. And it might be, but eight, potentially nine games at Indiana is exceptional.
2: Yeah, no question about that. Is is this one of those games, so Thursday, January 2nd, night game in Jacksonville, is this one of those games where you look up and Tennessee took 30,000, 35,000 people to the bowl game? Because it feels like Tennessee has run the gamut of emotions this year from get rid of the guy, he's a bum, he's got no idea what he's doing, to, oh, wow, we were patient for just a few more weeks. Jeremy Pruitt kept this team engaged. They got better as the season went went along. They're 7-5. and five. They're going to a Florida bowl game. Let's roll, baby. Ready for that off-season natty.
1: Is media days in uh, Nashville? Is that this year?
2: Or no, is that it's in Atlanta. Years? It's Atlanta this coming year and then Nashville after that. Okay. Because
1: if it was in Nashville, I could not imagine how many national championship trophies would be handed handed to Tennessee that week.
2: Hmm. A lot of them. Yeah. All
1: of them, probably.
2: All, all of them? We'll get to more of the uh, clips from Lane Kiffin coming up in the uh, in just a few minutes. But you do have two other coaches that were named to SEC schools this year. Or this week. This weekend. Arkansas hires Sam Pittman, former assistant on Brett Bielema's staff at Arkansas. That was announced last night via video by Hunter Juracek. Pittman was the associate head coach and offensive line coach at Georgia. And is considered to be one of the best recruiters and best offensive line coaches, not just in the SEC, but in the country. You've got several former Arkansas players that have played for Pittman, maybe headlined by Frank Ragnall, who's a really good offensive lineman, and are now in the NFL, who reached out to Arkansas officials expressing their support for Sam Pittman.
1: Former offensive line coach, loved by the players. Where have we heard that before?
2: Look, it, it may vary, it may work out exceptionally well. But how do you feel today if you're an Arkansas fan? If you're listening right now, hit us on the on the C Spire text line. 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. If you're an Arkansas fan. Are you excited about this hire? If you say you're excited about it, are you having to convince yourself you're excited about it? Do you think that this is a disaster? Could it possibly be any worse than what you just went through the last two years with Chad Morris? We'll see. I've got no idea what to think about this. All I know is that early on when it was announced that Lane Kiffin was going to be hired at Ole Miss there were some rumblings that he might make a run after Sam Pittman as his offensive line coach or giving the offensive coordinator title. And somebody text me Ole Miss doesn't really think they're going to get Sam Pittman. I was like, yeah, probably not. But I don't think any of us thought that we'd be looking up 3 days later and he'd be the head coach in Arkansas. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. Glad to have you along on this Monday afternoon. Busy day today. Ask the question, if you're an Arkansas fan, how do you feel about the um, about the hire of Sam Pittman to be the head coach of the Razorbacks? I got this response. I think I can read this. You want to know how we feel at Arkansas? I'll tell you. Our coaching search was led uh, by Hunter Urechek and John Fagg. Combine those two last names together. Okay. Um, not an Arkansas fan, but I sure wasn't impressed with his press conference today. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what to think about that. Like I watched 5 minutes of it during a commercial break earlier in the show today, and my thought was, you just got a head coaching job in the SEC. You should look more excited probably has not slept since he found signed that contract last night, which I guess is understandable. You go from being the offensive line coach at Georgia to being a head coach at Arkansas, a place that you're fond of, that you've been and you were liked by your players a lot. I would... I would think even if I was exhausted in my first opportunity to speak to Arkansas fans, to speak to the public, I would be just giddy. Um, Here's one that says fans should be pumped up and ready for next year like I am with the Rebels. I don't know if you've got that with Arkansas fans or not. And I think everybody recognizes that Arkansas has got a big hole to dig out of. big hole to dig out of they've lost their last 17 southeastern conference games last time they won a game was against Ole Miss and it was that kind of fluky come from behind game where Ole Miss is headed in for a touchdown and Cooley fumbles the ball and Arkansas scoops it and takes it the other way and the momentum shifts and they're able to get that win that was when Brett Bielema was still there so yeah I don't know what about Missouri fans? Missouri hires Eli Drinkwitz. He's making $4 million a year to be the head coach at Missouri. I think that's going to be a good hire for Missouri. There was not a ton of talk about Eli Drink uh, Eli Drinkwitz during the Ole Miss search, but... It's my understanding that Keith Carter was pretty doggone impressed with him in a conversation that they had. And I told you on Thursday, I think it was, of last week, that yes, Mike Norvell is candidate number one, or was, at least early on in the process, and there was a lot of momentum toward Lane Kiffin. But if for any reason that went south... Eli Drinkwitz was the next guy to look at. So, even though Missouri's search feels like it kind of went sideways a little bit, I think they ended up with a pretty good coach. I just don't know what to think about Arkansas. I do know that Ole Miss fans are excited about Lane Kiffin, and we played you a few clips from his press conference earlier today let's go back and hear what lane kiffin said about recruiting so he talked a little bit about the strategy that he and his staff will use in going after players
1: and just for the record these are two answers put together you'll see where the gap is but um, okay he he dramatically changes what he's talking about it's i just took the question out but same topic uh, recruiting and recruiting strategy
4: yeah, gotcha. I mean, we're going from here, I believe. We're going somewhere. So they gave me a schedule. I didn't know what it was, but, you know, um, actually uh, last night, actually um, had a meeting with a recruit last night, and then you know, I think 8 o'clock or something last night, and then had another one starting at 6.30 a.m. today. So you don't win in this conference just by being a good coach. You know, you win in this conference by having really good assistants to get really good players there's too much talent in this conference to just, you know, think coaching alone does that. I think more the NFL model as far as, um, you know, the evaluation, extremely thorough evaluations on kids, a lot of, you know, people, you know, from the head coach to the coordinator, position coach, like all evaluating, grading, a grading system, you know, before and we recruited great at USC, you know, as assistant with Coach Carroll, and then our first year there, even with the sanction, we signed the number one class in the country. I think it one point you know it was since it had been alabama had been on a run that had been the last team so um but there i felt like it was more okay we just want these guys and these guys and we don't want these guys and and this now is our system is a lot more like an nfl team and i think now in college football more than ever it really is like an nfl team because now you have what high school junior college kids transfer kids grad transfer kids guys leaving your program so there's basically like free agency in there and you gotta figure out how you're going to manage that, you know, and which ones you're gonna take. It didn't used to be like that. There were hardly any transfers. So it used to just be okay, take high school kids and the only decision was do you take some junior college kids. So I think I think it's extremely important to we talked about before, avoid doing this
2: I don't know this for sure, but just kind of using context clues and connecting the dots, given when Lane Kiffin arrived in Oxford last night and that he had a visit with a recruit last night at about 8 o'clock. Kind of an educated guess here that that was a visit to see J.J. Pegues from Oxford who has long been thought to be making the decision between Ole Miss and Auburn you know that Nick Saban was in town. That was uh, talked about a lot last Monday. No, Nick Saban was not interviewing for the head coaching job at Ole Miss. He was in Oxford to see J.J. Um, I don't know where that goes. I'll be interested to see where that goes. I, uh, I played high school football with J.J.'s dad. Super guy. Super family. And I think Kind of the recent thought has been that Auburn was probably where he was headed. Sometimes things get a little squirrely when Alabama gets in the mix, and we'll see. Uh, But there is a name recognition that goes along with Lane Kiffin and a newfound excitement that goes around with this hire, and I wonder if that has the ability to, uh, to change the mind of J.J. Pegues.
1: And with his use of tight ends. I mean, we saw what they did at Alabama. But at Florida Atlantic, he's got a 1,000-yard receiving tight end this year. Dude's got 65 catches on the season uh, Is potentially the first tight end coming off the draft board this year. One Harrison that, Bryant's his name, for whatever it's worth. Yeah,
2: yeah. One of the things that I was fascinated that Lane Kiffin talked about today was – the use of kind of advanced stats, metrics, and analytics. And after he had mentioned that, maybe in the, I can't remember if it was in the press conference or in the, the big pep rally setting, but somebody asked specifically, hey, what do you mean when you talk about the use of analytics particularly?
4: Yeah, now nowadays you, you don't necessarily have to hire someone because they have a system, so you, you hire a company. Um, CAI is what we've used before. And so uh, they do a great job. We were kind of at the forefront of that and really actually was so excited about it, helped them get more clients because um, it does change the way that you think. They give you a weekly report every week of of things around the country. Here's all these situations and this is how people handle them. This is how they should have. And so, you know, when you dive into it and you really spend hours studying it, it's not how you – it doesn't tell you how to coach the way that most coaches coach. The old school way, uh, from an analytics standpoint, is extremely conservative. You know, there's a, there's so many more times you're supposed to be going for it. You're supposed to not be kicking long field goals, and people just punt, or they go kick, and they don't realize, okay, there's a 6% chance to make that field goal. But as the coach, you say, well, I put him out there, and he missed it. You know, I, I did what I was supposed to. Versus, you know, a lot of coaches are afraid of the press conference afterwards, and so they do the conservative easy thing because then... You guys don't rip them. So get ready to rip me.
2: Get ready to rip me, he says. That is, that may take some getting used to for fans. You know, everybody likes the idea of a coach being aggressive. But then when you're aggressive and it doesn't work out, people are like, "Whoa, that was dumb. You should have punted there. But if you really buy into the numbers bear out over time making decisions based on a statistical analysis and you stick with that, I mean, it's like the long, slow, arduous process we've seen of people accepting the shift in baseball or playing guys a certain way based on tendencies over a period of time.
3: What's the learning curve for fans going to be like on that, Riffy? A lot of overreaction? Probably, particularly initially. But I don't know about learning curve, but I I imagine they'll get used to it, uh, particularly if it works more often than not. Sports Talk Mississippi will...
2: A Super Talk Mississippi media
1: production.